Our sermon today uh, is interesting because this is a sermon that I've actually preached before, and uh, I don't really go back into my old sermons very often, um, but I occasionally look at this one, and I always just go, oh, that's like a it's like a negative one. That's a heavy one. It's a good one. It's a truth-filled one, but, but it's just heavy. You know, there's six solid points of negativity in it. <laughs> you know, like if you could name the sermon, it's like the, the six negative points of this sermon is like what it, and then, then I give you like four at the end that kind of help you a little bit. But, uh, but I have 10 points today. Six of them are negative, uh, but here's the deal. I wish in our walk with God and on our journey to our destiny and, and in the process of building God's kingdom, I wish everything we experienced was something we could shout about, but that's just not the truth. Uh, most of the, the miracles and most of the, the situations and the stories that you see in scripture all started because of devastation or because of a huge problem that they stood in. Amen? And so to say, well, I'm a Christ follower now and I believe in the things of God now, everything's going to be perfect. That's just not reality. Uh, we today will just take a look at Jesus' journey to the cross and see all the things that he had to endure that weren't perfect. And I'm not going to even mention the, you know, the beating and dying and, and those things. I'm literally just going to talk about some, some just regular emotional things that he dealt with. Because here's the deal. So many times in ministry, I see people come to me, oh, I want to be in ministry. I want to see God move. I want to do this. I want to do that. And they want all the flowers and all the, you know, the roses and the pretty and the glitter. And they want all those kind of things because it's easy to have a really good heart and want to see God move and do all that kind of stuff. But then all of a sudden when it gets real and the scripture says things like you have to put your hand to the plow and not look back, then all of a sudden it gets real, right? Like, oh, I, I got to stick through. Oh, I got to use faith on this. Oh, I have to not, you know what I'm saying? Amen. Oh, I have to give up some things. Oh, I have to uh, be pruned in some areas in my life. And none of that stuff comes easy, uh, but it's necessary. Amen. And so while I come into this and you're going to be six points in going like, wow, this is really negative. I want you to see that the scripture says that it's through all these things that it produces our perfect faith. It produces what we need to be able to obtain what we're trying to obtain. Amen? Because I love this thought that I think about often. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. God has called us to sacrifice. God called us, and I'm not talking about money, and I'm not talking, I'm talking about laying things down in your life that cost you something. I'm not talking about your hobbies. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about things that like, oh God, this is pressing me. This is pushing me, but I'm willing to surrender it because I want what you have is better. Uh, how many of our kids so many times, our little kids, uh, you know, Caroline or whatever, she'll have something. And it's like, no, 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 you don't want that. What I, let me get you something that's, I have something better. And then she holds on and holds on and wants that thing and doesn't, no, it's mine. I want it. I, no, I have something better because my perspective is better. And oftentimes trials are what God uses to actually give you something better. Yeah. You okay with that? Yeah. And so the, I guess the title of the sermon would be the six trials of your kingdom purpose or six trials of your path to your destiny or something like that. I guess I'm not very good with titles, but uh, thinking of like, all of us want to do a significant kingdom work. All of us want to see our communities better. All of us want to accomplish our destiny. But along the way, there are some things that you will face because Jesus faced them and he said this, no servant is greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they'll 
certainly persecute you. Essentially, he's saying like, hey, if I had to go through some things, certainly you'll have to go through some things. Amen? So it's dangerous when our doctrine is, oh, Christian, be a Christian. Everything's going to be perfect. But I also think it's dangerous if you get in this side of the ditch. That's like the devil's around every corner. He's going to bite you. You know, he's got rabies. Or so I don't, you know, like, yeah, right. We don't want to be that either because it's weird. Uh, but somewhere in the middle, living in the tension of God does have great things for me. But I also know that there's traps that I got to be aware of. That's literally, we can't get into it all today. But literally, that's why the scripture says that, that I've encouraged you to put on spiritual armor. There's things you're going to have to battle against. Amen. So just looking at Jesus's journey to his destiny, the scripture says that about the cross, that his passion was the cross. His destiny was the cross. Some could say, well, no, he did a lot of good things before the cross. He taught us how to forgive and he taught us how to do all this. But without the cross, all of that is just a good speech from a good person. Amen. And so really his destiny, the, the what he was sent here to do all hinges on the cross. That was his purpose. That was the calling, was his being sent here uh, to die for our sins and shed perfect blood for you. Amen. So four accounts, we get a story of Jesus' journey. And of course, we get those in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But picking up, and I got a lot of scripture uh, for you today, but I want you to go home and I want you to see it and I want you to retain it because it just, it's how we, it's how we accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. So Matthew 21, 23, it says, now he came into the temple, speaking of Jesus. So Jesus is in the temple. And the chief priest, or the religious people, and the elders, they confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Don't you love to be questioned? On your journey, you're doing your best. You're in the ministry. You're doing all that God has put in front of you to do. And then all of a sudden, some people show up and they're questioning you. The first trial that I believe, and I'm not putting it in any kind of order, but the first one I brought to you, one thing that you're going to have to learn to endure and overcome and your purpose and your destiny is people will question you. Point number one is you will be questioned. People will question your motive. People will question your heart. People will question uh, who you are. So that's what they did to Jesus. By what authority? Who says that you can do this? Who says people will question you? And so it's so interesting to me in ministry, and this is going to be really redundant by the time that I'm done with the six, but if you can't learn to be a person who can endure being questioned, you're never going to make it. Somebody say, amen. I know it's a snow day. Somebody, amen. Like, are you with it? I'm serious. I'm just trying to help you. Listen, I got in ministry at 19 and I'm going to be 33 in March and I've done it full time in every area, children's youth, you name it. I've been a pastor in that arena to some degree. These are rhythms and just, I wouldn't call them a law, but they're just things that are guaranteed. Uh, the scripture says that the Lord delivers us from all our afflictions, all our, that means that they're going to be here. So for me to get up here and say, Hey, if you want to do something significant for God, if you want to do something significant for the kingdom, you got to learn to be able to get over it when somebody questions you in a negative way. So I'm just trying to help you. And so, and so God's put this thing on your heart. And he's called you to do this thing. You got this home group or this Bible study, or you started this thing, or, and then all of a sudden people start questioning your motive. Your response is not to quit. Well, God, I tried. I tried, but they can't, those questioning people, they can't. No, your response is endure. Because even Jesus who was Messiah, was in the temple, and they questioned him. So number one, you got to learn to overcome the fact that people will question your motives. 
Continuing on, Matthew 26, 14, says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas, went to the chief priest, verse 15, and he said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Speaking of Jesus, they're setting up the sellout. And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver in verse 16. And from that time, he sought opportunity to deliver him unto them. Judas spent three years with Jesus. Jesus made him the money man, gave him the money bag, trusted him. If anybody was to be believed in, it was Judas. Judas, I believe in you so much that I'm letting you be the money guy. Now, so many of us could be like, well, he knew in advance that he would steal from him. That's a whole other topic. But basically still to Judas... He's like, I believe in you so much. I trust you so much that you're going to be the money guy. You're going to be who cares. So if you want to talk about somebody who should have his back, it's the guy that he believed in the most. Instead, he sets him up and sells him out and betrays him. Number two, if you want to advance in the kingdom and reach your destiny and do what God has called you to do, you have to understand that some people are going to sell you out. Some people are going to do this. People will choose their own gain over kingdom gain. They'll come alongside your ministry or they'll encourage you or they'll be your support. They'll be your thing. They'll be your prayer thing and they'll come alongside you. But then when it comes time for them to get gain, they'll sell you out. They'll take personal gain over advancing the kingdom. And some of you are sitting here like, I don't, I don't like this sermon. He's right. It is negative. This is not a good bulletin board, right? Like you're not going to be able to make a pretty scripture picture to put on Facebook about this. Today I learned in church, like I'm going to be sold out and people are going to quit. But I'm telling you, if you can understand these, if Jesus had to deal with it in certain arenas and in, in, in ways, we have to learn to overcome these things. So what happens is you're passionate and you're excited and you're going after what God called you to do and then somebody sells you out. I can't believe that they chose that for themselves instead of the thing. And so what's your response? Are you going to quit? Are you going to give up? Because if you do, you actually had more faith in that person being alongside you than you did your faith in God. And so many people say, well, I don't know uh, if I believe that to happen. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Somebody gets hurt. Somebody gets sold out and they turn on God because their faith was actually in the other person instead of trusting in God. So you'll be sold out. Matthew 26, 36 says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and the disciples, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there, while I pray and go over there. Verse 37 So he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. So we'll keep reading in a minute. But Jesus is like, look, I need my guys. I'm going to this thing. I have the the crosses in front of me. I'm about to be crucified. This is a season in my life where if he's probably much like us, he's probably wondering, and we hear him pray in a minute, God, if if there's any way that this this cup can pass for me. He's in this moment of just, God, I need to know. I need to make sure I'm on the right path. I need to make sure this is, and so he's saying to his best, hey, come with me. I'm sorrowful. I'm in this. I need you to be with me. And uh, in verse 38, then he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He's just saying, I need somebody. I need somebody. Verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, as I will, not as I will, but as you will. In verse 40, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? So Jesus in this desperate time needs somebody to be there, needs somebody to be with them. How many know at this point, 
He's already been sold out. He's already been questioned. He's already had these things happen to me. So he gets his guys. He says, I need you more than ever. Will you stay and pray with me? And he shows up and they're sleeping. And then in verse 41, he, he asks them again, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again, a second time he went away and prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 43. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So all of this is happening. All of this is on his plate. And his boys are sleeping. Because here's my next point. When you are pursuing the things of God, when God puts a dream in your heart, when God puts a passion in you, and you get excited about it, there will be times that what you do, this is my point, what you do won't be popular to others. Have you ever had God speak something to you and you got excited, excited, you knew it was God. Maybe you read a scripture, you heard a song, you got excited, and you called somebody or you ran up to somebody and said, hey, you got to hear this. And they're like, yeah, that's good. And then you feel defeated. Why? Because sometimes on your pursuit with God, your moments with God are for you. Not that you can't share them, but sometimes it's just not going to be the most popular. Because people it hasn't been revealed to them like it's been revealed to you. So what do you do in that moment? Do you quit? Do you say, oh, I guess it's not popular. I guess it's not trending. I guess it's not what the people want. It doesn't matter what the people want. It matters what God wants in your life, amen? If we let a church based on what the people want, no offense, <laughs> it could be rough, right? That's why we gotta be a people who are spirit-led. That's why God literally, the scripture, he sent you the Holy Spirit so that we can be led by God, not led by what people think is popular. So what are the things in your circles and in your life and in your spheres that you need to say, hey, this may not be popular, but I need to go with what God has shown me. Amen? So to stay on your course, if they, uh, I thought about it like this, if they lost motivation, if people lost motivation for Jesus... How many of you know there's going to be times in your life that people lose motivation for your thing? I mean, literally, they knew the cross was in front of them. They knew this was all going down, and they still lost motivation for Jesus. So it's important for you to know in your Christian walk that if you always need a cheerleader, you're probably not going to make it because they're not always going to be there at the time that you need it. Now, listen, I believe in this fellowship and brother. We're always here for you. But how many of you know sometimes rock bottom is quiet and it's dark and you can't pick up the phone? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And so some, you can't put your faith in, oh, if I can just get to church and we can sing a couple worship songs, then I'll feel good. Oh, if I can just get the, the sermon, if I can just do this. And you got to get to a place where you learn to strengthen yourself in what God is doing in your life. Amen? Yeah. And we believe in fellowship of the brother and all that kind of stuff. But even Jesus had to go back. And he had to sweat some blood and he had to lay it all on the line between him and his father. Amen. Matthew 26, 67. It says this, it says, then they spat in his face. And this is just, we're following his journey. And you know, different things keep happening as you see me just jumping through scripture. But later on, after he's been captured and, and they have him and, and he's uh, being led to the cross, it says, then they spat in his face and they beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands. Verse 68 saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? So literally at this point, they're just mocking him. At this point, his purpose, his destiny, his calling, the things, the values, the stuff that he believes in, uh, he's passionate about, and they're literally just in front of him, mocking him and making fun of him for it. 
my point number four, for you to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish in the kingdom, you have to understand that some people are going to mock you about it. That's a good amen spot right there. So how many, you know what I'm talking, how many have ever maybe gone to family or you've gone to a coworker and you've had this thing, or maybe it was the first time you got saved and you told your buddies and they made fun of you. Oh, you're a, you're a Bible thumper now. You're a preacher or whatever. Or God's called you to sell a business or God's told you to do this thing and you're taking this faith, le- faith leap and then you tell some people about it and they make fun of you about it. Amen? It's real. It happened to Jesus. And so you have to learn to be able to push through the mockery or the joking or the jabs or the sarcasm. Amen? Matthew 26, 69. It says, now Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, verse 70. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. So we're, this is the denial. Peter's making the denial of Jesus. And then again in verse 71, and he had gone out to the gateway. Another girl saw him and said uh, to those who were there, this fellow was also with Jesus. But then again, he denied, I do not know the man. And the story goes on one more time. Hey, your speech gives it up. You're Peter. And he denies again the third time and the rooster crows. And so number five, and this is the hardest one to overcome in ministry. This is where it knocks people out or knocks you out on your call. Number five, you will be denied. You will be denied. People aren't going to, and let me just use a theory here. Like no one's going to deny you. Like I I don't know you. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Like what was happening here. But in your moments and the things that you're believing for, the journey that you're on, in you will encounter denials. It's not going to happen for you. I'm sorry. We can't do that. I'm sorry. We don't want to work with you. I'm sorry. You can't raise the money. I'm sorry. You can't have that building. Amen. Yeah. And there'll be all these denials. Oh, that won't work. You can't birth that. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. Deny, deny, deny. You will be denied. And if you don't come to the place where you say, it doesn't matter what man says, because God has already approved, somebody say amen, yeah. then you'll, you'll, you'll learn to be able to get over denial a little bit more because it's what God says, not what man says. Yeah. And so you just stick to what God put in your heart or what the word shows you about your life and you push through because there's going to be moments of denial. Continuing on, Matthew 27, 27. This is so good. There's so much in here. Uh, write this down this, and just read into this. Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, verse 29, and they had twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed their knee before him, mocked him, saying, Hail the king of the Jews, verse 30. Then they spat on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head. In verse 31, when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him. They put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Verse 41, likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Verse 43, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Number six, my point number six, is that the enemy will mess with your head. That's what's happening here. He was the king of kings. He was savior Messiah. He was all powerful and could come down off the cross. He was chosen by God. He was the son of God. But they made fun of it. They twisted a fake crown and they put a fake robe on him and they, all these kinds of things to him. Why? Because it messed with his head. 
Because if the enemy can take you out in a way, it's going to be in the way that he gets into your head and he tells you you're not what you really are. He says, oh, you're not really that and you're not really that and you haven't really been called that way. Three major things happen that's just loaded in this. Number one, they, they made fun of him and they were mocking him for being king of the Jews. What were they questioning there? His position and who his was. Oh, king of the Jews. They were coming at his position. How much does the enemy come at you in your position? And then this is deep. What are you? The scripture says we're sons and daughters. We're heirs to God, the king of kings. So the enemy comes at you and says, no, you're not. You're a sinner. You're a drunk. Remember, you're alcoholic. Remember, you did this. Remember, you did this. But no, your position is what God says it is, not what people say it is. Amen? So that was one thing they did. They mocked his position. Number two, they mocked his works or his accomplishments, the things he did here. They said, oh, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Want to know the way that the enemy will come at you? You do, you're faithful in ministry and you're doing some things. You're serving in kids ministry. You're helping with set up and tear down. You're doing all these things. And then the enemy comes at you and says, oh, look at, look at that. You know, you think you're helping save some others? You think you're doing anything? You're just babysitting those kids. Oh, you're just putting wood down on the floor and plugging in wires. And they start questioning. The enemy starts getting you to feel like your works aren't actually doing anything. Amen. Anybody ever feel that way in ministry? You're grinding, you're going, and the enemy just, that's for nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Amen. So they, they question his works. And then number three, they made fun of him for how he trusted God or his source, where his strength came from. How many of you know the enemy loves to get you to look back or to doubt God? He can't heal cancer. He can't deliver you from those feelings. He can't get you uh, out of that place that you're in. Like You're not connected to God that way. He's not able to move on your behalf. And he gets you to question the source because the source is already victorious. Somebody listen to me. The source, it's already done. Like the, the gun is already loaded. All that you need to overcome in this warfare is already there for you, amen? But if he can get you to doubt the source, then you have no victory, amen? I'm glad it's not like that for us today, all the things that Jesus faced. I'm glad we don't ever have to face those. Okay. I'll close with this if you guys come play. Four things I really want to encourage you. How do you make it? How do you overcome these things? How, and, and we all struggle with it. There's no perfect batting record. You will be sold out and it will hurt your feelings. You will, all these things we talked about, the enemy will mess with your head. And it might happen for weeks at a time, for a month at a time. I mean, these things happen. You're not a sinner because they happen. It's just kind of how things work. That's why the word, that's why worship, that's why we got to do all these things. And so just because these things happen doesn't mean you're, you're not doing a good job or you're not following right. So they're going to come. But what is important for you is what you do in those moments. It's your response to those things that make the difference. How did Jesus respond in this? Let's look. How did he make sure he accomplished the perfect will of God? How how did he make it to the cross? How did he set us free? What were the choices he made in response to these? So I brought four things that we see Jesus did. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. One way that you overcome this stuff on the way to your destiny, on the way to all that God has for you, is you be a person who can be forgiving. 
You may be sold out. You may be all these things. He says, Father, forgive them. They're casting lots. I'm literally up here dying, and they're making a gamble out of my stuff. What would your response be hanging on the cross? You'd be updating Facebook about how you hate them. No, right? I know none of you do that. I don't see your Facebooks, but um, mine either. Um, but one way that he overcame all this and accomplished his destiny is he was a person who learned how to, at the hardest time, be able to offer forgiveness. Number two, we see that Jesus does this in verse 42. And then he said to Jesus, speaking of the thief on the cross, he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In verse 43, Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Point number two is you have to learn how to accept people, all people. Jesus has the right to accept nobody. He's on the cross. He's dying. He's, he's no sin in his life. To be able to turn and be like, you want to come with me? I'm the one with no sin. You're the criminal on the cross, and you want to come where I'm going? Sorry, pal, you don't have that card. You're not in that club. You have all these sins. You don't deserve it. But instead, Jesus goes, hey, yeah, yeah, come with me. He says, you, you can come with me. I, I know you have a past. I know you have a thing. But right now, in this moment, that person was making a decision to accept Christ. And what's Jesus' response? No matter what you've done, I will always accept you. I would say that should be our response as a church and as a people. No matter what you've done and how many times you've done it and where you've been, our first response should be, I accept you. Not, oh, just wait a second. I got to give you a little speech and I got to clean you up and hit you with some Christian cliches. No, I love you and I care about you and I want you to be where I'm going. Somebody say amen. I believe in you. Your savior hanging on a cross, flesh ripped open, makes a decision to say, I want you with me. That's how much I love you. I don't want you to not be where I am. So he, he, he says, come with me. You've made a decision to be with me. I accept you. All we got to do is make a decision to accept him. And immediately you're with him. You're going where he's going. God's best for you because he loves you and he forgives you. His immediate response, I forgive you and I love you and I accept you. Come be with me. Don't be caught up in the things of the world in the way that it used to be because it doesn't fill you. Yeah. Amen? The bigger house, the right kids, the right school, the right, all this stuff, all the stuff that you try to keep up with that has left you void, it doesn't work. God forgives you and accepts you and loves you and has the best for you. Somebody yeah. say amen. John chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Verse 27. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So my point number three is the most important thing we can do on our journey to our purpose and to our destiny and to what God has called us to do. The most important thing we can do is be a somebody who is concerned for others. 
Jesus has all the right to be hanging on a cross and be like, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. But then again, he makes a display. Even while I'm dying here, I'm making a display. Hey, it's about others. I care about others. I want to make sure you're taken care of and you're taken care of and you're taken care of. Too often church is like, hey, look at what we're doing. Come take care of me. I've done this and we're a church and we got this thing and we got pretty steeples and windows and come look at what we're doing. Instead of making your number one priority, like, hey, let's make sure they're taken care of and they're taken care of and you take care of that one and that one. Is that okay for you guys? Jesus dying on the cross still has concern for others. Amen? For you to make it and overcome all of these things, we have to be a people who have concern for others and their futures and their lives. Not for our own gain. Jesus was going to heaven because it matters how we treat people. I love this one here. It's so simple. John 21, 12 is my last point. So Jesus had gone, he died, he rose again, and he comes back. And this is a story of it in John 21, 12. It says, Jesus said to them, the disciples, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew that he was the Lord. Jesus returns, could make a statement could have a billboard, could come with all the catchphrases in the gotchas. Hey, disciples, remember when you turned your back on me? Remember when we, and all, I spent all that time with you, raising you up and showing you things? I did all these things, and then you failed me, and now I'm come back, and I'm going to get you? Instead, he's like, hey, can I meet your need? How about some breakfast? Let, let, let me feed you. <laughs> it's love. He loves people. Point number four is we as a church, as a people, as a Christian on our way to what God's called us to do. We got to be a people who feed people. Point number four, we have to be a people who feed people. We meet the need of others. We put before our lives, we take up our cross, we lay down our lives, we put the needs of others before our agendas. Before the, I gotcha, I'm right, look how right I am, look how I say it, look how, look how, Hey, do you need something to eat? How can I meet your need? I'm here to serve you. Because people don't care how right you are. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So let's feed people. Let's love people. Let's connect to people. Because there's no catchphrase or any statement or anything that you're going to do that's ever going to get somebody. Oh, they got me. I feel really loved right now. They really got me with that zinger. And I'm not, I'm not against zingers, whatever that even means. Does that mean something bad? I don't even, can you buy those somewhere? But my heart and our 31 days vertical is, hey, let's encounter God. Let's go after God. What's God's best for us? But just know along the way that there'll be some trials and we're not going to be quitters. We're going to be overcomers because we're going to love people and we're going to accept people and we're going to forgive people and we're going to meet the needs of people. And when we do that, it's not I that live, it's Christ that live in us. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to drop the lights down low and I want to give you an opportunity today to make a decision. All of us are on a journey. The scripture says that tomorrow is promised to no man. Tomorrow's promise to no man. Really, the scripture says life is but a vapor. I mean, just this time that we have here on earth is so small. But eternity obviously is forever. 
And so I'm going to give you the opportunity. We talk about our destiny and going after God, but that all starts with, like the thief on the cross, it all starts with saying, God, I need you. Like, I need you. I want to go where you're going. But first, I need to identify you as someone I need. So the Bible talks about how you can pray a prayer of salvation, that no man, no, no other person under heaven, and there's no other way that you can be saved except for be saved by Jesus Christ. So the scripture says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Literally, you can pray a prayer. If you believe it in your heart, like that thief on the cross, if you believe in your heart, that God, I'm choosing you today. I want you to lead me in life. I want you to be leader of my life. If that's you this morning, it's really cool. We can pray a prayer together. I'm not gonna have you come forward. I'm not gonna single anybody out. We're actually all gonna bow our heads and close our eyes. But what I'll have you do when I count to three is I'll just have you raise your hand and then I'm gonna pray. All of us will pray together what some people call the sinner's prayer or some people call it uh, the prayer of salvation. Really, it's the same thing. But all you're gonna do, you're gonna repeat after me and we'll all pray it out together. But I want you today to say, yeah, I am making a decision that I don't want that void in my life. I don't want that pain. I don't want that outcast. I don't want that feeling of being on the outside. I want acceptance like Jesus provided for that thief on the cross. I love you. I forgive you. I accept you. Why don't you come to where I'm going? Amen. So with nobody looking around, if you're here and you say, hey, get me in on that prayer. I want to make that decision today. When I count to three, I'll have you raise your hand. And again, we'll all pray out together. But I just want you to just show God, just like that thief on the cross. God, hey, I'm choosing you. So I'll be looking, but nobody else. And you, like I said, you won't come forward. But if that's you here today, you boldly want to make that choice. If that's you, when I count to three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. You're here, you know. Man, I need to make that. See that hand? Anybody else? Anybody? See that hand too? Don't miss. Anybody else? You, you've almost had, you've almost had conversations with God. Like, God, I'm, I'm warming up to the idea of you. Maybe you're here because you're searching. You're saying, ah, I'm kind of checking this out. I'm, uh, there's a little bit of interest in like follow that. The scripture, I mean, like it says, God knows you before you were born. Like he's got a plan for you. So you sitting here or standing here today is not by accident. It's because God wants you to step into something that can be the best thing you've ever chose. Amen. So one more time, anybody else, if you, if you already raised your hand, you can keep your hands down, but anybody else in here, you say, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to just start today to follow him and to make him Lord of my life. If that's you, just raise your hand one more time, if that's you. Okay, don't wanna miss anybody. Cool, if you didn't have the boldness to raise your hand, but you in your heart are like, that's me, you can still pray this prayer. If you believe in your heart, uh, you'll be saved. You can still pray this prayer with all of us. So let's all this say this, say, God, God today, today I, choose you I choose you as my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Me of my sins. Help me to walk with you. In Jesus, name. In Jesus' name, amen.